Welcome. My name is Jolene. And I'm Emma. Two costume designers who share love of horror and fashion history have brought us together to deep dive the horror genre, going behind the scenes to uncover, understand, and analyze iconic horror characters and costumes that are simply to die for. Today on our first ever To Die For mini-sode, we'll be chatting all about dressing up, diving into the world of cosplay and how it relates to identity and the art of immersing yourself into a character. Yeah, and this is a topic that Emma and I definitely want to dive into further. Um, We have lots of thoughts on it, but we just kind of want to give you just this little brief overview of it, especially now that cons are starting to come back, the vaccinations getting out there, people are starting to go out and do stuff. Um, So yeah, we just wanted to give you like a little taste of it. And it really all started in all the way back in 1936. Wow. The first official sci-fi convention. At the time, it was called Worldcon. It was held in New York City, established by fans, and it didn't really get the official st- like stamp of approval until 1939, um, but it was the first ever science fiction convention in New York City, and that was the first time that so it happened for three years from 36 to 39, but then in 39, it was official. It was a con, and we had um, Myrtle R. Douglas and Forrest J. Ackerman, they were the first couple to dress up, but except Myrtle was not allowed in the con at the time. It wasn't until the 1940s that women were allowed to go to these conventions. So it was just men starting out. So boo. Yeah. Classic. <laughs> it's fine. But it's fine, Myr- whatever. Yeah, fine, whatever. <laughs> but sweet dear Myrtle, she designed and sewed both of the costumes for her and Forrest, who I don't think they were a couple couple, but they were really close friends and they just loved science fiction. And these were based on pulp magazine art from Frank R. Paul. So when they were um, doing these costumes, they weren't about specific characters. They were just imagining themselves in this futuristic world of science fiction literature. So they were just futuristic dwellers. Um, I she love created, that. Yeah, she created this like really cute little cape and this jumpsuit for herself and then he had this like awesome plate i mean the pictures are in black and white so i don't know what color they were but it looks oh it looks very comic booky with like it come to a v and we'll post some of these pictures on our social media so you can get an idea of um the early incarnations of these costumes but they're really cool so up until like the the 60s really people were doing their own designs of these costumes and in 1940 we actually have our first masquerade which is the first official costume contest at a convention which is pretty cool um and then just some other fun little facts like in 1952 was the first nude costume <laughs> which put in yes. some regulations for costumes and that didn't come back to the, the late first 60s. mistake yeah <laughs> and then they, they put some like Maybe you should not do that until like the late 60s, early 70s when nude costuming became a thing. Um, And then in 1962 was the first um, costume contest where we were really seeing a lot of prop weapons. Mm -hmm. And they didn't say who did this, but one of the guys had a real flamethrower. And they were like, okay, maybe we should like put a restriction on what the weapons are doing too. (laughs) They can look as real as possible, but like right. maybe not actually act as real as possible. Right. Maybe no fire indoors. <laughs> yeah. And then in 1984, um, when Nobu Yuki Takahashi, 
Um, he went and visited WonderCon in LA, and he was blown away by the fan culture in America. And now there was an expanding fan culture in London and Japan and, and different countries. Um, but what I didn't realize was that the Japanese have a history of taking um, Americanized words and just shortening them and combining them, which is super cool. Um, so what he did was he wrote for this magazine called Anime Times, and he basically created the first incarnation of what we now know now is the term cosplay. So he took the American word costuming and he combined it with the term role playing is what what we mm. see today in a lot of conventions. So I just thought that that was like a really cool like little history. So like from 1948, uh, sorry, 1984 and on was really when it is the kind of cosplaying that we would think of now of like conventions mm -hmm. and people dressing up as their favorite characters. So in the mid 60s was when we were getting um, kind of a people weren't de designing their own characters. It became you know, we're going to dress up as our favorite Star Trek characters or Star Wars characters. And then in 1984 right. with this phrase, like it really solidified like, yeah, we're going to role play in costume as our favorite characters, which I thought was really cool. I love that. And I also, you know, thinking about how it kind of became a thing during an era where there was a lot of war and scarcity and things going on in the world. I can absolutely see how people would be drawn to the sci-fi genre specifically, but just the sense of escapism and thinking about futurism and, and escaping the reality and thinking about how you could live in a new world or what things could be like in the future when things aren't as dire as they were back then. Absolutely. Yeah. It really, and it really brought together this sense of community. Um, I don't like people were dressing up in Halloween costumes Mm -hmm. um, and we can definitely dive into that when we get, you know, when we do an episode on just Halloween costumes because that history mm -hmm. is so rich. But there wasn't really a space for a lot of the Atomic Age drive-in classics that were coming out at the time. And then you had authors mm -hmm. like Ray Bradbury um, coming out and, and writing these dystopian novels that people really resonated with. And I think that that's awesome. Like just like you were saying, looking to this brighter tomorrow in a time mm -hmm. of such turmoil. Absolutely. Just in the way that like horror explores the things we're trying to escape and sci-fi explores, you know, and you and this is obviously a very broad sort of description of the genres, <laughs> right. but you know, sci-fi oftentimes explores what our futures could look like. Right. Or explores, you know, uh, current fears in a new way or in a new you know world even but I think Halloween costumes is a very interesting comparison to cosplay because I think oftentimes people wonder you know where is the line like if you're not immersed in right. the community of cosplay oftentimes you can wonder like well is cosplay just dressing up in a costume or is it more than that and I think there is a massive sense of community with within cosplay and it's, it's not just, you know, cosplay and costuming could be defined as the practice of dressing up as a character from a movie or book or video game. But with cosplay, I think maybe the difference um, would be one that there's more like technical detail involved. And you're really trying to um, cosplay as we know it today, you're trying to uh, be as accurate as possible because you're trying to immerse yourself in a world like you're not just dressing up like an angel or a devil for like a Halloween party, which is equally fun, but you feel attached to 
or connected with a character in some way, shape or form, whether it's maybe it's a character that is the opposite of you, or maybe it's someone you see a part of yourself in either way, there's a part of the personality of the character that you want to embody that goes beyond just the dress, which is usually just like the weapons, very realistic. (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure. Now, before this, I had gone to some conventions, like horror conventions specifically. I've never been to any other ones. Um, And there is a little bit of cosplaying that happens at horror conventions, but I I don't cosplay myself. Um, And Mm -hmm. so it was because I do this for a living, like I when I go to conventions, like, and I'm carrying shit around, like, I don't want to be uncomfortable. So I really commend the people that, like, go all out and carry these weapons and have these. Oh, absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Like, I, I was joking with my boyfriend that, like, if we go to a convention and, like, you want to dress up, I'm probably going to go as the We Fit Yoga Girl because, like, it's <laughs> like. Because it's just so light and easy. <laughs> right. It, I can, like, carry the artwork that I'm buying and I could walk around all day in leggings and, like, <laughs> and. Yeah. Yeah. Just go with someone really comfy like Pamela Voorhees right. where you just like are in a nice sweater. Right. We love love a good cape on it on the pod. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it was definitely um, – and then I came across today all of these um, people I didn't realize made montages of all of these different cosplays, like cataloging the, the almost people watching um, the people that they were encountering at these cons. And it was really interesting to see. And one of the things that struck me that kind of brought me to tears in moments too, was just seeing the diverse array of people that were identifying with these characters and were choosing to represent themselves as these characters. And Mm -hmm. like, it really knew no age limit, no race limit, no religion limit. Like it was beautiful seeing the Mm -hmm. array of people and, and how, their interpretation of the character was to them. Yeah, absolutely. I think that cosplay in, you know, maybe not for everyone, but oftentimes, whether it's the sense of community or the sense of exploring identity in some way, shape or form, um, can be really healing and safe and fun for people um, in a way that really makes you feel secure in yourself by portraying someone else yeah and just in the way like there's you know we could do an entire episode on this which we totally should (laughs) but the connection between drag and cosplay and kind of cross play where the kind of gender exploration intersects um the connection is that you're either um you know in drag you're exploring the character that you've created yourself which is maybe more akin to um the origins of cosplay um, versus mainstream cosplay now. Um, But then in cosplay, you're also like sharing yourself with these characters or exploring different personalities and different identities. And, you know, a lot of like with crossplay, which is, there's, I think a fine line between crossplay and and drag crossplay is basically cosplay. That specifically is um, a expression of gender, um, which you know, obviously drag shares, uh, shares a lot with, um, but a lot of like, you'll see a lot of men cross play as women. And, you know, even if they don't feel connected to being feminine or, or being a woman, and they're not necessarily trying to do that, it's just a really fun way to explore identity or parts of yourself. And also, um, oftentimes you'll see, especially when there's cosplayer 
crossplay as a woman, you'll see sort of the, um, you'll see hyperfemininity, mm-hmm. um, which is really interesting to see because you can kind of see the way that um, the socially constructed nature of gender roles um, is portrayed through the eyes of someone who's not uh, experiencing those or trying to portray that on a day-to-day basis. You're kind of seeing what is like the extracted femininity you're seeing uh, inputted input onto these, uh, these costumes, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. And you definitely see that a lot. Like I've noticed it in particular um, with a lot of the like Marvel and DC characters where you have a lot of like, um, I was a part of a group for a while, which is funny because I don't cosplay that I was in a Peggy Carter group because at Disney World and Disneyland, they do a thing called Dapper Day, which um, mm-hmm. and, and people will Disney bound, which if you're not familiar with Disney bounding, so adults cannot wear costumes into the parks. So people have kind of adopted these wardrobes that are color schemes of the characters. And I, in a past life, I used to be a pinup model. <laughs> and um, when I would go to Dapper Day, I would go in pinup. And actually, that's how I still go to horror conventions. So if you ever see me at a horror convention, I'm probably in full pinup with like, the victory rolls that's the only time of year I'll probably do my hair <laughs> and we love to see it <laughs> and so I, I I got long story short I was approached to join the group because I, I do kind of look like Haley Atwell I look like Peggy Carter and so I was noticing a lot of women that were doing Peggy Carter but as Captain America and this like this like take back of you know that Peggy Carter is powerful in her own right but like what if she was also this the the Avenger the first Avenger like what and I think that's really cool too. Ooh, I love that the I you know because there's not cosplay is definitely not binary in that it's just like doing one look really well. Yeah. There's lots of mixing and matching and also people coming together of like you know what if Peggy Carter was hanging out with Ghostface you yeah. know and like things like that where you're seeing a lot of crossover between genre and between characters where you're seeing a humanization of the characters from all different kinds of media. It's basically like a community in which all of these characters get to exist and they get to exist as humans. And you're seeing those humanized traits being portrayed and real people bringing them to life. And, you know, you're getting to see the best sides of them too. Yeah. No, it, it's a fun world. It was one that I was a little hesitant Um of in the beginning because my association was that like it was only for for people who really enjoyed anime which was not a world that I was right. in and like so what I was seeing was a lot of representation at those types of conventions but then mm-hmm. but then I guess because the term cosplay became normalized in the sense of like it's just used now to define any person dressing up as a different character um mm-hmm. I don't know it just became like a, a more interesting like I love people watching. So to watch people express themselves in this way and then learning that like in the beginning it was their own unique designs and that people don't really do that anymore, but people are doing that. They're taking the IP and they're making it their own. They're they're cross-pollinating with – I remember being in Universal Studios and Diagon Alley and seeing – um, these four girls dressed up as Disney princesses in Hogwarts house uniform. So it was almost as if like if the princesses went to Hogwarts, like what house would they be? And I, I think that's- Ugh, I love that so much. It's so clever. And I love seeing the clever cosplays too. 
Ah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. And I also think that there is something to be said about how, you know, oftentimes you'll see people make the argument of cosplay just being like, oh, it's just better costuming. It's just like more intense costuming with more work put into it. And there totally is work put into it. But something I do am seeing more and more of and would like to see more of is, you know, it's not always about the intricate costuming. It is also about the heart that's being put into it. And you don't have to have the most expensive, perfectly done costume to be doing cosplay. Even though I think that that is how it's portrayed right now as cosplay being like hyper-realistic, hyper-accurate and really quite expensive. Um, You know, that doesn't, that isn't necessarily a requirement for attending these conventions. And even though maybe there are people that feel like, you know, if you're just wearing a costume, then you're not, you know, maybe you don't, maybe in my opinion, I don't think you identify as a cosplayer. (laughs) I think that more and more people are just becoming accepting of the community at large. Um, And also the community of cosplay is massive. I mean, and you kind of can't, to generalize is, is, you know, not considering that there are so many little subsets of cosplay and different communities within it where, you know, it does mean something different to each of those communities and each of those individuals. Um, but yeah, something else that I was kind of thinking about was um, women who do cosplay. Um, and also in the same vein, I was also thinking about like the sexy Halloween costumes, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, which we talked a little bit about before. Yeah, yeah. And I was thinking more about this kind of thing where, you know, I guess we see it with cosplay, but if you're talking about like, for the Halloween costumes example, you'll see that there are like, like a sexy ghost face or which is by the way, I think an amazing costume. Um, And you'll see a lot of women doing like the sexy schoolgirl thing. And that, I mean, that's a whole different costume to unpack, but you know, sexy costumes in general, oftentimes a lot of the women and non-binary people who do cosplay or are just dressing up in like a Halloween costume or something um, are generally the ones where the sexy thing is marketed towards. And I think you kind of run into this conundrum where that kind of like, like sexy Halloween costumes were made as a product of the male gaze. But then you also have this conundrum of like women and non-binary people wanting to feel sexy, wanting to wear whatever they want and reclaiming that and doing it for themselves Um, and I'm in the camp of like women and non-binary people doing whatever they want and feeling comfortable and happy, but it's, it's an interesting thing in the community because I do think that a lot of, um, you know, and again, I don't want to generalize the entire cosplay community, but I have seen parts of the community sexualize women specifically. You'll see that a lot in like the anime side of it. Yeah. I did notice that a lot in those, those like compilation videos, but I also did Mm -hmm. see, signs posted at the beginning of like or the entrances to a lot of these cons in their videos um where it was like cosplay is not consent so it's like just because somebody is wearing this doesn't mean that they're an open invitation to be touched or to be harassed in any way or sexualized or whatever which i think is really awesome mm-hmm. and it's like but absolutely put that there like if you're gonna choose to be an asshole like you were warned that <laughs> you know yeah. you shouldn't be doing that right Yeah. And I think that that's what's wonderful is that people who are spearheading um, conventions and who are really dedicated to this community want to protect it. Um, 
you know, you run into issues like that, I think, at large. But it's an interesting one with cosplay because oftentimes either the characters you're dressing up as are inherently sexualized. Um, and just because you're dressing up as them doesn't mean you want to be sexualized right. or have, again, like like that sign had said, it's not an invitation to be touched or harassed right. just because you're wearing a sexualized costume because you can still do that for yourself and you can still reclaim that gaze whether or not that character was made for you you can make it for you and you can give that character your narrative and or you can even reclaim their narrative for them you know and that's something that I find really interesting to look at when it comes to cosplay um and also on the flip side You'll also see women dressing up as like monstrous men. Yeah. You'll see tons and tons, especially in horror. Yeah. Many, many women tend to want to, and I'm totally generalizing when I say yeah, women. Of course. But um, you'll see a lot of people want to dress up as Freddy Krueger. You'll see them want to dress up as Jason. Oh, yeah. You'll see them want to dress up as these, um, these iconic villains who are essentially monstrous men absolutely and i think that's because the genre well a doesn't give us a lot of monstrous females right and there is something fun about being a villain like totally like you especially as a woman that doesn't get to play that role i think now the narrative is shifting a little bit where okay so we went from like we needed to have women in film so we only had strong female characters and now it's kind of shifting to like, yeah. oh, we can have characters that are real, that are flawed, that are, imper you know, like they're, they're, they're kind of shitty sometimes, but humans are kind of shitty. So like women can exactly. also be kind of shitty. Like I'm, I'm mm -hmm. sure that you have had instances where you've been bullied by other women and I've certainly been bullied by other women, Absolutely. you know, and like I probably wasn't the best person to people either. So like, mm -hmm. you know, like to have those complex characters. Yeah, but like you, I know that I you've cosplayed because I've seen your pictures on Twitter, mm -hmm. and Darcy has even retweeted some of your stuff. <laughs> Thank you, Darcy, <laughs> Queen of Cosplay. We love you so much. Um, yeah, my what's interesting is that I sort of um, I love dressing up, and I've never been so I don't cosplay at conventions or anything, and mainly I've you know, but I have always loved putting on makeup and doing fun things and. Oftentimes I, you know, for a while, a few years ago, I would, um, I loved experimenting with makeup and I loved taking pictures of experimental makeup and doing like little experimental, like self portraits. And, um, I kind of got into that and I've always really loved doing that. Um, even if in my day-to-day -day life, I don't, you know, mainly I'm usually just too lazy to put on a bunch of cool makeup, but sometimes I'll be like, I'm bored. I'm going to put on a bunch of cool makeup and call it a day. Um, <laughs> but over um, the past like year or so, especially with being trapped in my home, <laughs> I was just like, I want to look like these cool, iconic women. And I generally have cosplayed as, I'm pretty sure I've only cosplayed as women. And I don't know why. I think maybe, maybe I should ponder that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it really is just something that I find very fun. And I, I don't have... I wouldn't say that I'm super immersed in the cosplay community, but I can say that there, that it is a form of yeah. escapism, I think on any level. And I, you know, for me, I often, like, I think it kind of started the first thing I had posted, or maybe it wasn't the first thing, but 
there was a time when I had dressed up as Daria Nicolodi, who isn't necessarily in this, you know, I, I dressed up kind of as an homage to her in Deep Red, uh, which I love, by the way, and she's amazing and gorgeous. But that's kind of why I dressed up like her, because I was like, she's amazing and gorgeous, and I want to feel amazing and gorgeous. And so it wasn't even like this massive costume, but I did kind of try and do the eyeliner and the hair. And it was a way for me to kind of experiment with my style and see what I like. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I like dressing like this. I like dressing, you know, especially this past year where I've just been wearing sweats every day. I was like, I need something to jolt me out of this. And for me, um, just doing like my bedroom cosplay, um, it's been a fun way to connect with myself again. It's been a fun way to connect with um, different parts of my style because I think we're all very inherently complex people. And we all have different parts of ourselves and different parts of our style and cosplay on any level, whether it's just like me, you know, throwing on a wig and some eyeliner in my room or it's, you know, someone spending hours and hours making a really accurate, gorgeous costume. Um, you know, whether it's a character that you identify with or whether it's, you know, the exact opposite of you just connecting with that character is an exploration of the self. It's a mirror to yourself in some way. Um, and really it's just fun. It's fun to either escape yourself or explore yourself. And I think that um, just dressing up in general is, is a great way to do that. I mean, we basically dress up every day, just yeah. wearing clothes as a performance. Is, yeah. And I mean, I could like, do a 3 a.m. harp on like how everything is a performance <laughs> and how there is how, there is no escaping. Um, but, but, you know, I think that just day to day, like I try and incorporate the feeling I get of, you know, dressing in homage kind of every day. Like I, that's what style icons are, you yeah. know? So we're doing this, a small degree of cosplay, I think a little bit in our everyday life, especially if you're into fashion and expressing yourself that way, you know? Some days I want to dress like, Twiggy, but other days I want to dress like Mark Bolin, and then other days I want to wear sweats and not see the world ever again for a year. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I don't know if this is like going to be something where I'll get more into cosplay. I think because I do this for a living, where I'm dressing people, I'm sewing, I'm creating looks. I don't know if it's something that I will take to the convention floor, but it's definitely it. it well, it started out for me as like um just making Halloween costumes or making costumes in general was like, okay, well, what period in history do I want to tackle? Like for us as a seamstress, like what skills do I want to work on? And then the more I got into like the psychology of, of costume design and got deeper in as a designer, I started to notice that like the characters that I was gravitating towards, I had the privilege of looking like, and like I was talking about Peggy Carter and I get to I got to see myself on the screen, and like this past Halloween, I went as um, Abby, who is one of the Ghostbusters, and I got to again see myself on the screen because these are brunette white women, you know, that I yeah. got to look like, and it really kind of checked my privilege that mm -hmm. you know I, re you know, like realizing that like why representation is so important in media that mm -hmm. every little girl or boy 
should be allowed to see themselves in any like in in a character in a and I'm not mm-hmm. just talking about like like me seeing myself in like Iron Man or something. I'm saying like you know it, I love seeing like little girls dressed up as Moana who you know come from the Polynesian islands and stuff like that. Like we're seeing more diverse characters and I think that is so beautiful and it is so mm-hmm. important to have the space for all of these characters. Yeah. Being able to see yourself in a variety of characters, I think is, it's so important because I don't think we talk enough about how media truly shapes us. I think that, you know, working in the film industry, it can be kind of like, oh, you know, I think a lot of us who do work in the film industry can often get like maybe flack from family where it's like, oh, you should be doing something more important, like being a lawyer or a dentist or whatever. But the media we consume shapes us as people, you know, that's what we're watching as children. And you don't even think about necessarily when you are a white woman, for example, we are both white women who have had the privilege of not even having to worry about not seeing ourselves on screen and have plenty of options of people who look like us to dress up as. Um, And it is really important to, be able to explore your identity through different characters, the good and the bad. And everyone should not only be able to have a hero, but to be able to see themselves in a villain too. Yeah. And um, even if you're not doing cosplay, I think that in some way, shape or form, whenever you're watching a film or playing a video game, you are relating your experience and yourself to what you're seeing on the screen, because that's how you analyze and interpret the media that you're consuming. Yeah. Have you, Emma, ever heard of the Gina Davis Institute for Media Studies? Yes, I've heard of it when I, I think I like Googled her and looked at her filmography for something. And then I was like, ooh, what's this? And then I never followed up on it, but do please tell me more. Yeah. So I love, <laughs> I love this institute. Um, so she, Gina Davis realized that when she had children, short, short version of the story, that she wasn't um, seeing a lot of particularly women in the media portrayed in a nice way. And so they came up with this um, metric scale of like analyzing films and TV shows and all kinds of programs from kids programs mm-hmm. to like adult movies and not porn, but like adult style. <laughs> movies. Um, and like, what was the ratio of women to men on the screen and how long were the women to men talking and what were the women talking about? It's almost similar to the Bechdel test, but this was more about screen time and um, exposure more than like right. conversational stuff, um, which I'm sure we'll get into the Bechdel test in more detail a bunch more times on this podcast. Um, 20 episodes on the Bechdel oh my test. God. And, <laughs> but I really love their slogan and it's, if she can see it, she can be it. Now, you can always take those pronouns out and and it, it is for whomever wants to mm-hmm. use those. But I think that that's so important. And there's a great documentary on stars, if you have anybody has stars, um, called um, Things Are About to Change, I believe is the title. And it, it is basically about the Gina Davis Institute and how she and her team are pushing for change in the media and just change in the media all around. And how really the media that we consume does shape the landscape of the jobs that are out there. Because 
like they were noticing an uptick of women going into criminal justice when more women mm. were more prominent on shows like The X-Files with Scully and CSI and NCIS and right. how those th- fields were being affected by the shows. And yet the film industry is still very disproportionate. But oh, these yeah. other but it's great that we're able to help out you know, all of these other fields. But yeah, the representation is, is I and I, I love that little mantra that if she can see it, she can be it. And I think that every little girl deserves to have like, because I definitely had that moment when I was a little girl that was like, yeah, I, I, I can do this because I'm seeing it in front of me. So mm-hmm. why shouldn't every other, not even just little girl, but why shouldn't every other child get that same opportunity? Absolutely. And that's also what's amazing about cosplays because you're seeing people dress up as characters that don't look like them and shifting the narrative for themselves and giving themselves something that the film industry or other industries were not willing to give. Um, but also, you know, whether or not those people are doing it intentionally, they're shifting the narrative for children and teens who are discovering themselves and seeing that and, getting to explore a character in that way. And so it's kind of a cosplay can be a very DIY way of showcasing that representation that we're still working on, you know, in the film industry and we're still trying to get there. Um, And yeah, I I absolutely love the conversation around representation and and how cosplay can is shifting that. And, and, you know, hopefully I'm, I'm hoping, you know, each year, we can just make chip away at at the problems that we see in the in the film industry oh God, and the media yeah. that we consume. <laughs> um, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I also was kind of thinking about how uh, just to kind of harken back to um, both of our experiences. You you and I both love vintage and retro, and that's probably why. You know, it's we we have so many intersections of our like weirdly niche interests, but I think that's like why we both are interested in fashion history too. Is that like we're also just drawn to old silhouettes and being fascinated by what people are wearing and and why they're wearing them. And I think for me, part of why I like to because I generally will do like if I dress up like a character or homage a character in my day to day life, it's usually like a vintage character, retro character, someone from the 70s, someone from the 40s, something like that. And I think that perhaps you do something similar when you do dress up in pinup because you are homaging a different style. Do you feel like that is in some way escapism for you? Yeah, definitely. Well, and and I love vintage because because of the fashion history component. But yeah, I mean I get when I was doing pinup um it was definitely at a rocky point in my life. And there are definitely times where I do kind of want to revisit it, but just don't know how to kind of come back to it. Or, or maybe I feel like, I don't know, I feel silly coming back to it. I don't know. Maybe one day. Mm-hmm. Maybe one day I will. But <laughs> it feels like a past life. Yeah, I know it does. Yeah. But like it gave me this weird confidence because I was always told growing up, I mean, like, in the 90s, it was very much like divided of like, you were going to be the Madonna, you were going to be the whore. And if exactly. you were going yeah. to be looked at by society, you know, I was always told like, be valued for your thoughts, be valued for your brain. So I kind of mm-hmm. hunkered down and became this bookworm. And as I got older and became a woman, I realized that like, 
No, women can be both because women are allowed to enjoy sex. They're allowed to have, you know, a self-image that just because I want to wear a dress and then put on makeup does not mean that I'm vain in any sense, you know? And it definitely gave me this outlet to like explore this like vixen that I want to be, but I know that I'm I'm truly underneath really awkward, which is totally fine. <laughs> but like, yeah, like I, lo- I like that starlit vixen type character. It allowed me to unleash that a little bit. Exactly. That, and I, I love that because you, it's a way to kind of, you know, even if you don't feel like dressing up like that every day, it's a way to express a part of yourself. Um, and that kind of reminded me of, there's this quote from John Berger, where he says, men act and women appear and men look at women, women watch themselves being looked at. And I think about that sometimes when I think about why am I drawn to dressing up certain ways or what is, you know, why, why, why do I do the things I do? Um, and I think that oftentimes for women, for non-binary people, really for anyone, because I think that we all have a little bit of the internalized either male gaze or internalized misogyny of like, you you know, oftentimes men, and again, this is general because I think this could really apply to most people depending on how you were brought up, um, but that there is something to be said about we are sort of always, we're not looking at just ourselves. We're split down the middle. We're looking at how we're seeing how we see ourselves and then we're seeing how other people see us. And that can influence the way we think about how we present ourselves. We are performing for other people. Oftentimes we sometimes maybe even want different people to see us differently. Um, And that affects a change in how we, and how we dress and, you know, wanting to try on, you know, do something that feels a little more sensual just to kind of try it on and see if you enjoy it. It's like playing with femininity and masculinity. That's why you see a lot of people diving into crossplay. You're seeing a lot of people wanting to play with different um, identities and different uh, uh, gender roles specifically and what, you know, what looks and presentations are associated with those things to just kind of try and find yourself in the middle of, um, of really the patriarchy, you know? I think that I showcasing your identity through dress. Um, it's really the other way around. You're using dress to find your identity and to find your identity in the middle of the waves of influence from all different kinds of things that come under the sweet, you know, packaged patriarchy. That's, you know, we get consumerism, we get capitalism, we're marketed all different kinds of things. You know, we have an inner man in our head that's always watching how we present ourselves. And that can make it complicated to sometimes identify how you even want to present yourself truly. And, um, you know, exploring dress through the guise of cosplayer through, you know, doing sort of having like your style, then having an external style, whether it's cosplay or pinup or drag, you're expressing yourself in a different way that can help you identify who you are um, beyond just your personal everyday dress. You're, I think, exploring and finding yourself um, through that in general, just finding who you are as a person. Yeah, no, and I love that. And, and I think 
before you know i came into really knowing about cosplay and what what the whole world was about i was definitely a judger i was definitely kind of like oh that's a little weird for me i don't know but then like the more i saw it and even just watching those compilation videos today and just kind of reminding myself what it was all about like it was beautiful seeing just like we were saying before just every type of person represented mm-hmm. and accounted for and taking on the costume for themselves, making it for themselves, and identifying with an aspect or the whole part of this character in some way. Mm-hmm. And that I I just think that that's – I think that's really powerful. I think and, – and it gives – like, and my heart goes out to the confidence that, that people who really go all in with these cosplays have because – I guess when when we were separated in the high school forum of like, you know, jocks and preps and whatever your group was. I don't know. Do Gen Zs have group? I don't know anymore. <laughs> yeah, I feel like, you know, that, that – I mean, honestly, those high school stereotypes yeah. I think ultimately carry through generations and also carry into our adulthood oh, whether or absolutely. not we like it. I mean, like – but, you know, and like I was always made fun of for being the weird theater girl. But like, I, you know, and just to like something that's different and to – to maybe be made fun of for it, but to say, you know what? Fuck you. I'm going to wear this anyway because I love doing this and this makes mm-hmm. me so happy. And that makes me happy to have that confidence and to, to be that passionate about it and to just – you they glow when they're walking around in these costumes. And Absolutely. Actors. It's so beautiful to see. Yeah. I think that immersing yourself into any kind of counterculture, um, there – is kind of a a reclamation of the self in that you're you're like this is my thing I like my thing and I identify with my thing because for a lot of people you know maybe they aren't having a good time in their life and they don't like being bound to who they are and all the things that come along with that you know you're when you're a person in the world you're tied to so many things but when you can explore a different person in cosplay, you don't have to be yourself for a little bit. You don't have to be bound to your day-to-day work schedule or dealing with, you know, your housing situation or, you know, things like that. Just any day-to-day life things that you don't want to deal with um, in any, you know, small or large capacity. You don't have to think about that when you're in the mind of someone else. And it is, it can be so freeing and it can just be kind of like a vacation for your brain. And you come back when you're out of that costume, feeling revitalized because you were able to, even though you were in cosplay and you were in a costume of someone else, you really were able to actually just be yourself for a moment yeah. in time. And I think that that is my favorite thing about cosplay and all the things likened to it, dressing up in costumes, doing drag, all these things that are ways that dress is a form of self-expression, which I think really dress is always a form of self-expression, but these very deliberate ways that explore it in a very specific way, whether it's drag where it's, you know, a self-actualized character or cosplay where it's a pre-existing character and you're, you know, or, you know, when you're like mixing IPs, um, it's a very beautiful and fascinating thing to see how at home people feel within themselves as someone else. Absolutely. Yeah, well, I am super excited to dive into this further with you, um, and we're definitely going to do that at a later date because we really want to get absolutely <laughs> into all of these juicy, juicy things that we love to talk about with you guys. Um, but yeah, any I don't know. You have any more final thoughts, Emma? Uh, all I want to say is 
I love the cosplay community and I admire the hard work that I see in it. And even, I mean, and when I say that, I don't think you need to be a hard worker (laughs) and have the most exclusive best costumes, but man, there's some stuff that people do in cosplay that I could never think of doing. And, And just the attention to detail is so fantastic. And I think that, you know, it really inspires me to see people, um, kind of putting in the work, but also expressing themselves in such a beautiful and fluent way that I just really love. And I wish I had the balls to go out (laughs) there and, and do that. And and I just, I love it. And so, yeah, I would absolutely love to get into cosplay more. We definitely want to talk about drag in another episode, all different kinds of stuff about um, dress and identity that you'll kind of see those themes pop up in future episodes. But yeah, thank you guys so much for listening yeah. um, to this, our first ever little mini-sode. And you'll definitely see more of these little quick chats coming up. Um, we're hoping to do one mini-sode per month as well as our big episode each month too. So you have a little a little breadcrumb before we drop <laughs> a, a hefty episode. <laughs> Well, thank you guys, as always, for joining us. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at To Die For Podcast. That's D-Y-E. And on Twitter at Die Podcast. And next time you go into your closet, remember that your pieces could also be to die for. Die for.